If you would turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 6. So we're going to spend our time this morning looking at God's Word. So <clears throat> brace yourselves as we are not in Psalms. That's normally where I go. Throw a curveball to you. We're looking at Isaiah 6, and, and one of the things I love about this, uh, this chapter, this passage, is that it really gives us a glimpse into what I believe worship will look like someday, or maybe even a, a glimpse into what worship looks like. Every Sunday, we, we get a chance to maybe rehearse, or as our mission statement would say, the first part is proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. second part is to prepare God's people to worship forever. And so every Sunday, as we gather together in this place, we are rehearsing, or maybe even preparing, getting a glimpse hopefully, of what someday it will, it will be like. And so first service, I, I stood over there and got my glimpse from that side of, of the theater. And then this second service, I was kind of in that back section getting, getting the glimpse. And so for some of us, it might be a, a greater glimpse than others, depending on, on what we bring. And so as I, as I thought about that, I, I also thought about the songs that we've sung this morning as we prepare our time to worship as we, as we consider what it looks like to be in God's presence, to worship Him forever. I, I think of the questions that the songs ask. The, the first song that we sang this morning, You, You Are God, it asks the question, how can I do anything but praise? As I consider the greatness of God and His worthiness to be praised for all of eternity, how can I do anything but praise? The second song that we sang this is just to demonstrate that we don't just pass our time. I try not to with, with frivolous music, religious songs. We sang the hymn, And Can It Be? And it asked the questions, Amazing love, how could it be that thou, my God, shouldst would die for me? Amazing thought to think that God in his place would offer to us access through Christ. Amazing love. And then we sung... Endless hallelujah. And we will worship forever in your presence. We will sing. We will be. There will be no more, no more tears, no more shame, sorrow, pain. All of those things that often distract us or keep us will be removed and it will be perfect. And so this morning as you have come, we're getting a glimpse of what that day will be like. Even though our glimpse has fallen... Our glimpse is, is not as perfect as it will be. We recognize that ultimately someday, as we see face to face God, we will worship forever. And so that, that is my goal this morning, that as we leave this place, we will we'll have a greater understanding of what it, what it looks like to worship God genuinely, and also that it would prepare us for that eternal worship that we will have the joy and delight to do someday as well. So Isaiah 6 is where we are. If you have it there, would you stand with me in honor of, of God and his perfect word? We're going to read the first eight verses together, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, High and lifted up, 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. You pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for the, for the moments that we already have had in worshiping you in song and in the reading of your word and the fellowshipping together with other saints. Lord, I would pray now for, for my own soul, even for my heart, for everyone here, that, that they would be open to receive your word. Father, and that the overflow of that might be offerings of worship to you, the very offering of our lives as we consider, as we ponder, meditate, even evaluate our hearts, as we dwell upon the wonder of who you are, the wonder of your love that you have lavished upon us in Christ. May we be a changed, a transformed people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we seek to magnify Christ this morning in our remaining time together, I'd like us to focus our attention on, on five key phrases from this text. And from that, we will pull out five statements that I believe to have been true from Isaiah's worship encounter or worship experience, if you will, as he had the vision and saw the Lord in the temple. The phrases before us that we'll consider are, I'll just give them to you, I saw the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. Woe is me. He touched my lips. And lastly, here I am, send me. Before we look at these phrases I believe it's fitting, and it was fitting in my own personal study and pondering to look at the historical context by which this text was written. 
You'll notice that Isaiah is clear to tell us right at the beginning that it was in the year that King Uzziah died that these events were before him. This is significant. This is one of only two times in Scripture, the second also being Isaiah in chapter 36, where we we learn of an exact period of time based on on the king or the, the person in leadership. And so we know that this is some 740 plus years before Christ would come onto the scene that this event took place. We could read about it in, in 2 Chronicles 26, the, the reign of Uzziah, the description of his life and his, his rule. In verse 3 of that chapter, we read about Uzziah. He was a man who took the throne at the young age of 16. So he maybe just got his license to drive that chariot. We don't know. Young man, obviously with unique gifts and abilities. A young man who had been raised to a position of great prominence. A man whose life was very useful, valuable. But we would read that he was also a man who in his final days ended up in dire straits. In verse 4 of of that account in 2 Chronicles 26, we find that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And in verse 5, we read that he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God as long as he sought the Lord. And God made him prosper, it says. God made him prosper so much that the people around began to know who he was. They, know, they knew the name Uzziah and associated it with success and prosperity, with power. Verse 8 tells us that the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Verse 9 tells us that Uzziah began to build things, strong towers and fortresses and gates and All of these things that he put his hand to was successful. He built just about everything. He was the very definition of success. He was so successful, so prosperous militarily and economically in every way that not only did his own people begin to look to him, but the people and leaders from surrounding nations knew his wonder. In verse 16, even the last part of verse 15, we read that his fame spread far. For he was marvelously helped, it says. But notice this, to, until he became strong. Verse 16. But when he became strong, or when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. You see, Uzziah became so powerful That he got to the place where he was unfaithful to the Lord. It goes on to tell us in the account that he overstepped the mark. He got to the place where he thought there was nothing that he could not do. Every door was open to him. Every luxury or convenience was his for the taking. Every privilege that was there was for him. And so he stepped into the temple and began to offer a a sacrifice of incense before the Lord. 
the place that was reserved for the priest, that which was set apart, set aside by God for certain men to do. Verse 17, But Azariah the priest went in after him, and with eighty priests of the Lord were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. These men confronted Uzziah. At that point, Uzziah could have repented. He could have acknowledged the sin that had gripped his life, gripped his heart. But that's not what happened here. We read in verse 19, Uzziah was angry. And as he was enraged, he had a censer in his hand to burn the incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him And behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. A man of of great power, a man of, of great wealth, of a man that had it all was excluded from the house of the Lord. There's a lesson there for all of us, I believe, that as we become greatly helped, marvelously blessed by God, greatly useful, it's easy for us to become proud and useless. What may be true of an individual as we read may also be true of a church a group of God's people. So as we consider the text before us this morning, may may that be on our minds, that we would not become a people so content and satisfied in what we have and begin to, how do I say, find security in those things that we begin to have a wrong view of God which leads to ultimately being unable to genuinely worship him. So this is the text before us. This is the context where Isaiah found himself. Isaiah had this firmly in his mind as he entered into the temple. The security factor in Judah in King Uzziah was gone. 52 years of security taken away. The man who epitomized the fact that Judah was doing well was no longer there. And so there there was a crisis, not only for Isaiah, but for the nation. There was a crisis in the area of leadership. A crisis where all the factors of life had fallen down, were crumbled. And Isaiah was lost like everyone else. We, similarly, I believe, face a place just like Isaiah did. We look around at the kingdoms of our nation, of our world, 
our leadership around the world, globally, economically, all the things going on politically, the world is a mess. The world is falling. And so in in that world that Isaiah found himself in, the world that we find ourselves in, our eyes need to be removed from the world of, of weak heroes, if you will. And we need to look to the Lord. Those are not the issues that define history or even eternity, if you will, but they are those that are found in a different place in God's Word. So this morning, as we look at the text, the first phrase I'd like for you to consider that Isaiah considered was, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. The statement that was true for Isaiah is that he, number one, was overwhelmed by God's presence. As Isaiah experienced worship in his own life and heart, he was overwhelmed by the presence of God. The king had fallen, the kingdom was in disarray, but God was in his place. Kingdoms may rise, kingdoms may fall, nations may refuse to hear God's call. But Isaiah knew, as we know today, that the word of the Lord endures forever. And when Isaiah turned his eyes to the Lord in the need that faced him, he was overwhelmed. Look at the description there of of God on his throne. And one note, the word there for Lord, if you notice, it's, it's capital L, and maybe your Bible will have smaller case, and later on it'll have the full the word there for Lord is literally the sovereign one. It's, it's a, a pre-incarnate Christ. So when it says that I saw the Lord, I saw a pre-incarnate Christ. It's not God Almighty, Yahweh, covenant God. It's more Christ the Lord. He saw him sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple, above him standing the seraphim. Imagine that picture. Sitting on the throne. I wrote a note in the margin of my Bible that says, why was he seated? God wasn't in heaven pacing back and forth in doubt or fear. God wasn't kind of wringing his hands thinking, what should I do next? He was firmly seated, settled on the throne. The word, therefore, seated means to be settled, in control. And so Isaiah knew at that point that God is in control. God is over all things. Perhaps the greatest need for for believers this morning, for you and for me, is a sight of God as he really is. In control. Seated on the throne. See, in our, in our generation today, we've, we've built other gods to take the place of Christ. Gods of technology or gods of materialism, gods of things, you name it. And so we place our security, our, our hope, our delight. And when those things get taken away, all of a sudden we're lost and we don't know how to do anything. We need, I believe, I need what Isaiah 
needed as well. I need to see the Lord in his rightful place. I need to be overwhelmed by his presence, knowing that God is in control over all things and that no matter what happens around me, no matter what God allows to come into my life or what God allows to be taken away from me that I enjoy, I need to know that God is in control and he is sovereign. It's easy to say those things, but it's hard sometimes to break that mold, to, to lift our eyes from our own, beyond our own horizons of, of security to the wonder of God's power. Even John, as, as he had his vision of the Lord, had a difficult time imagining, describing in terms what it was like to see the Lord. The wonder of it all, that, that Christ is seated on his throne. And so when we see him as Isaiah did, we become overwhelmed. I believe that sometimes we, we don't get overwhelmed or don't come to a place of genuine worship because we have a wrong view of who God is. Or perhaps we've made God too small. We've made him become our, our buddy who we go to when we have a need only and not worshiping him because he is worthy to be praised. There's no sense of fear of the Lord, a sense of his, his greatness and his holiness. Isaiah got the glimpse here as he saw him seated high and lifted up, transcendent above himself. As we see the description, the train of his robe Notice that Isaiah couldn't even lift up to see the Lord, but could only cast his eyes to the the hem of the garment of his train. Queen Elizabeth, if if any of you saw that years ago, I don't remember if I did or not, I don't know what year that was. But when she came into the, the abbey to be put on her throne or whatever, recognized the train of her gown went to the very back of the room and they had to have people that would keep it in place. It says here that it filled the temple, layer after layer. is a measurement of honor. It so overwhelmed Isaiah that he looked above the hem, above to the angels that were surrounding him. Could even gaze his eyes upon the glory of God. In fact, it says that smoke filled the temple, I believe, to probably protect Isaiah from seeing the glory glory of God as no man can see God's glory and live. And so, even as we come into this place on Sunday mornings, as we enter the doors of the theater, I'm, I'm guilty as well that we, we approach worship as I, I just put down surfacy, horizontal, We encourage one another. We ask the general questions. How are you? God is good. And we leave it there. And we don't allow God's presence to grip our souls, as Isaiah did. I visited visited a church while I was in Florida. And and as I walked through the door, there was an an elderly man who gave me a bulletin. I didn't say this in first service, so... Don't tell anybody that story. But, um, and as I, as I shook his hand, I said, how are you doing today? And he's like, oh, just fine. I was like, oh, just fine? Well, that's good. He's like, well, 
even if I wasn't fine, would anybody care? I thought, well, great to see you too, sir. And I thought, man, what a welcome. Of, I mean, he was, but he was being so honest, wasn't he? That we come in and we say, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. We just kind of keep on rolling and keep it. We don't, re- we don't really desire to know how things are going, how God is at work in our lives. When we know his place, when we know his presence, then we begin to see his person and his character. The second phrase, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The statement there in Isaiah's worship experience is that he was overwhelmed by God's holiness. We see there in the description of the angels, and I asked myself, why six wings? Quite the the picture there. And I, I just jotted this down. With two wings, he covered his face. I believe this was to cover their face so that they wouldn't see God's glory and die. With two Wings, their feet were covered to symbolize their lowliness, their humility, the shame that they felt in the presence of infinite holiness. And with two, he flew. The, the words there for covered and flew, as we think of the angels there in that presence, they are of continuous action, never ceasing. So even right now, as the angels are surrounding the throne of God, they are covering their face and their feet and they are flying around. Do you have that picture in your mind? As they are saying, holy, holy, holy. Never ceasing. Imagine, imagine the things that they could, have, could be saying. Why holy, holy? Why not loving, loving? Why not mercy, mercy? I believe that the reason that the angels are declaring holy, holy, holy is because genuine worship begins with God and His holiness. Worship does not begin with God's love, but rather it begins with God's holiness, which demands a sacrifice to be paid to give us access to God's holiness. It makes me think of the songs that we sing in our worship Songs today and generations and maybe generations ago sing songs that often repeat phrases, repeat statements. And whether you believe it or not, I do evaluate the songs that we sing and and choose to sing songs that tell of God's greatness, tell of the wonder of, of God's love in Christ, sharing the gospel. So I ask myself two questions. When we think of songs of the church, when is repetition good? And when is it simply redundant? Here is, here is my, my usage of it in our worship at Bethany. When the truth is significant, or when it is a powerful declaration of praise, or it is a promise to remember, it is worth repeating. Let me give you some examples of that. I just took the songs that we have sung over the last month. So last week, in our... In our services, we sang the song, How Great Is Your Faithfulness. The heavens ring, the saints all sing, Great is your faithfulness. 
from age to age, we will proclaim, great is your faithfulness. How great is your faithfulness? We repeat that, we repeat that phrase several times in the context. How great is your faithfulness? The hymn, How Great Thou Art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. We repeat that statement again. How great thou art. How great are you, God, in our midst? We sung the song, Stronger, there is love that came for us, humbled to a sinner's cross. The bridge of that, of that song says, So let your name Be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher, so let your name. A statement of truth, of praise. Lord, I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Oh Lord, our Lord, from Psalm 8, how majestic is your name in all the, the earth. The bridge of that song. Oh, your name is the light in the darkness. Oh, your name is the word of truth. Oh, your name. His name, light and darkness, word of truth. I could go on. Jesus Messiah. All my hope is in you. All my hope is in you. The light of the world. We don't just sing songs to pass the time or, or religious songs. These are, these are statements of truth. Powerful declarations of praise. Promises to remember that as we go throughout our week, as we find ourselves in crisis, as we find ourselves in, in doubt or fear, uncertainty, that we could say, how great is your faithfulness? If you walk into my house this week, Jacob's song is, <laughs> it changes. Uh, lay me down, lay me down, oh. It was God my rock last week, Christ was not the week before. So that, that it works as, as we dwell upon the promises and the declarations of truth from God's word. It encourages our soul. It gives us a glimpse of who God is, of his holiness, of his character. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why three times? Twice in Scripture we often see many things repeated, but only the word holy, holy, holy is it three times. And only is it a reference to the worship of God for all of eternity. When something is repeated once, or two times total, it just means very much so, or in abundance. But when it's a third time added to it, it literally means beyond number, infinity. We can't even, it'll never end, without end. For all of eternity will be holy, holy, holy. So we could see from the angels endless declaration that Isaiah was overwhelmed. But as he was overwhelmed by God's presence, and as he got a glimpse of God's holiness in that place, we see the third phrase I'd like you to consider this morning as we think about genuine worship in Isaiah's experience. 
he writes, verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see what happened here? This isn't the, this isn't the same Isaiah that entered the temple in verse 1 to see the Lord. His mind wasn't, wasn't thinking about his own heart and soul. He wasn't overwhelmed by his own sinfulness, as we see here. He came into the temple fully conscious of Uzziah's sin. Fully aware of Uzziah's failures. The fact that Uzziah had blown it and departed from the Lord. And now, he came into that temple fearful, looking for encouragement for the people who were in disarray. But what happened? As he saw the Lord overwhelmed by his presence, as he saw God on his throne and his holiness, he was overwhelmed by his own sinfulness. He came in with Uzziah on his mind and the mess that he had made. But when he saw the Lord, he was overwhelmed. And he began to think about his own sinfulness. Do you ever do that? You, I, I have done this in the past, right? I've seen a text that, that Pastor Daniel's going to preach, and I'll see kind of the, the theme of the morning or the application that lies in the text. And I'll think to myself, boy, I sure hope so-and-so comes this week. Or man, this message would be great for this person to hear. And I'll come in and I'll open my Bible and I'll, I'll think, man, I've got to get, I'll have to get a copy of this because I know this person would benefit from hearing this. And Daniel will unpack God's word to us and I'll get hit right between the eyes. <laughs> this had nothing to do with these people that I was thinking about. God had a word for me. I, I am overwhelmed by God's holiness as I am overwhelmed by my own sinfulness. This is what happened in Isaiah's life. And we could see that he was overwhelmed because Isaiah doesn't go on to tell about the bizarre story of what had just happened. Hey, I had this vision about seeing the Lord, and, and he goes on to describe that. But rather, we see that his life and his very soul was gripped by humility, by an acknowledgement of his own sinfulness, his own inability to stand before the Lord. And he saw himself as he really was. Woe is me. Woe there, it literally means I'm about to fall. I'm falling. I am lost. I'm in ruin. I'm broken. Psalm 130, David writes, If the Lord were to mark, mark iniquities, who could stand? No one. No one could stand as we 
consider God's holiness and honestly our own sinfulness, we cannot stand. And it should bring about humility as it did here in Isaiah's life. Sometimes it's painful. As I think about this in my own life, to, to see myself, not, not my wife, not my children, not my friends, my, my neighbors, but to see, to see Mike Chambers as, as I really am, broken, sinful, prideful, selfish, put the sin in there. As, as the Lord in his divine ability gazes into my deepest being. And I know if I'm truthful, I'm, I'm this kind of man. Sinful. Unable to stand in God's presence. But thankfully, the story doesn't end here, right? Isaiah wasn't so overwhelmed and left to be in his own sinfulness. The gospel does not end with us being left in our state of an inability to stand before holy God. What does it say? The next phrase that I want you to to note, he touched my mouth. Isaiah was, was overwhelmed by God's grace. It's the gospel. Think of, think of your own life as, as you came to the place of a recognition, and acknowledgement of your sin. God in his grace reached out to you. The story there in the account of Isaiah, the seraph took a coal, a live coal, with tongues from the altar and, and touches Isaiah's mouth. It says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. He took it from the altar, the place of sacrifice. The place where, where atonement for sins was made by the high priest. Where he would offer up the lamb for the atonement, for the, the covering over of sins. Today, there's no longer a need for an altar of sacrifice. Christ, the perfect lamb, was sacrificed completely once and for all on the cross as he died to pay the penalty for our sin. Access to God the Father is now freely given by grace through faith in Christ who died, who was buried and rose again and is seated rightly in control on the throne. Has has God touched your mouth this morning? Has, Has the Lord touched your life as he did in Isaiah's account? Would you know if the hand of God came to you in cleansing and forgiveness. You see, God God touched Isaiah at the point of his greatest need and he transformed Isaiah's life. We need to be a people. I need to be a person. We need to be a church that is transformed because we have been touched by God. 
as Isaiah's mouth was touched from the altar, a stone from the altar, and pronounced his guilt removed and his debt of sin was paid in full. The song that we sing, Man of Sorrows, the bridge of that song says, Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the blood of Christ. John Newton's mom died when he was nine years old. When he was 11, he joined his father at sea and served in the Navy on a British man-of-war vessel. And after leaving the military service, he joined the crew of a slave trading ship. In a few years, he bought his own ship and made a fortune transporting slaves from Africa to the British Isles. And in 1754, after surviving a terrible shipwreck, he left the sea and gave his life to Christ. Being influenced by George Whitfield and John Wesley, he began to preach in 1758. And he preached for the next 50 years. When he died in 1807, he was buried in the yard of the church where he'd served for many years. And his gravestone, which is still there, bears this epitaph that he wrote himself. John Newton, cleric, once an infidel and libertine, a merchant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had labored long to destroy. You see, like Isaiah, John Newton was overwhelmed with the holy presence of God. He was overwhelmed by the holiness of God. He was overwhelmed by the, the sinfulness of his own heart. And like that prophet, he was overwhelmed by God's amazing grace that saved a wretch like him. But there's, there's a fifth phrase here that I'd like you to consider as we close. The response of Isaiah's heart. Here I am, send me, he writes, he says. Number five is in Isaiah's worship experience before God, he was overwhelmed with the desire to serve God. If you're like me, you'll say, how did, how did Isaiah get to here I am, send me from the place of where King Uzziah died? It was a progression that took place. The beauty of the gospel in action. None of you this morning will ever get to the place where you will say, Here I am, send me, if you have not first been able to say, I saw the Lord. You won't be able to get to that place where you would say, Here I am, send me, I'm, I'm ready to serve you, Lord, if you have not first said, Holy, holy is the Lord, followed by, Woe is me, I am lost. You see, God touched Isaiah's life and he was transformed, able to say, here I am. We can say those things as well. Maybe you're saying this morning, why is the Lord using me? Why, why am I not more involved in God's work? Maybe God's trying to teach you patience. Maybe he's teaching you trying to teach you how to learn to wait. Maybe 
Maybe your lips need to be touched. Your life needs to be transformed by God's grace as you acknowledge your own sinfulness. We need to read 1 John 1. Listen to the sermons that Daniel preached months ago from 1 John where it talks about the person who continues to sin as a believer. Have we acknowledged our own sinfulness and been overwhelmed by God's grace? Then maybe we might be able to say, here I am, send me. As God looked down in the temple that day and said, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? I believe in a similar way, God may be doing that today. Saying the same thing. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? This text often maybe is used by way of missions. Who's going to go to the mission field? And ironically, we have two pastors in Africa this morning or on their way. But would you be so obedient to say to the Lord, not, not that you wouldn't go to Africa, but that you would serve the Lord faithfully in our church. Serve the Lord faithfully in your home in your workplace. It's a, it's a component, it's a part of, of genuine worship as you are gripped by, overwhelmed by God's presence, God's holiness, our sinfulness and His grace. When I was young, elementary school, a friend of mine and I were part of a, uh, a presentation of a, of a lady in our church. She was going on deputation for missions, and she wanted to go to Papua New Guinea, and, and so she invited 